0: Hey, everybody, this is Jamin. You are listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful week. My guest today is Michelle Ronson. Michelle, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Michelle is the principal of Curiosity Tank, uh, a UX specialty shop based out of the heart of San Francisco. We're going to dive in a little bit more about her background momentarily. But before we do, Michelle, I've got this like standard question that we ask. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your parents, and how that's informed your career.
1: Sure. I grew up right outside of Manhattan. Both of my parents were fourth generation native New Yorkers. And they very much influenced both my brother and me. I'm a classically trained designer. And uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say. My mom was an interior designer. My father studied architecture and later became an entrepreneur. And my earliest memory is of driving down the freeway or back then it was highway because I was on the East coast with my dad and he asked me to look at the McDonald's sign. And he handed me a crayon and asked me to draw what I thought the gear inside, like the little golden arches looked like that little device that made the sign spin. And I was about three years old and I just remember my brother and I, you know, talk nowadays that we were just tortured with that kind of stuff. We were tortured to think about like how things work and to build things and to take things apart. And we didn't have coloring books, but we had like all the blank paper, you know, we could ever imagine. It was a delightful way to grow up looking back. And now I delightfully torture my six year old daughter in the same way.
0: Market research, user experience research, customer experience—you know—all these discipl- all three of these disciplines are focused on primary research, right? So, getting to the heart of the consumer, and of course, they incorporate external data to help supplement and understand and provide context for our insights. But what do you see as the differences and the overlaps across these three disciplines?
1: Well, first of all, I don't consider myself a market researcher, and and market research was, you know, might be like. <gasps> But you you know, you know, definitely explore and interact with people to help figure out directions and strategies. Yes, I absolutely do that. But I see market research as more, right or wrong, as more focused on the sales portion, as more focused on purchase decisioning or pricing, um, the best ways to create awareness of a product or a service. I see marketing as focusing more on buying and serving the company or the entity, the organization that is producing, you know, what whatever is being, you know, sold. I see user research as being more focused on the goals, the design, the context, the ease of use, the product market fit, or the mental model fit, the, both the attitudes and the behaviors, if you will, of the individual user. So I see user research as working in service to the user and market research is working in service to the larger organization. When it comes to customer research, I think it includes both market research and user research and the broader kind of support models like customer service or sales.
0: If you were to rename Happy Market Research so that it incorporated these three disciplines, what would you see as like an umbrella term?
1: Um, you know, they're so... Heated. There's so there's such a debate <laughs> out there. It's like a, this massive turf war. um I would just draw a heart around them all I and it My um, this, the stuff that drives customer engagement. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so
0: funny. And it is, you're right. It's like there's not a and you answer that like a perfect. I hope to see you out there in 2020. Um, <laughs> right? It was the perfect political answer. Uh, because you're right. And it is such a heated, it is such a heated conversation. I had somebody on from Shopify on earlier and I tried to nail her down on this exact question. (laughs) She wouldn't answer it.
1: Well, it's not that I don't, it's not that I'm shying away from it. It's like, I don't have a good answer, but I can tell you that I would not ever say that I'm a market researcher and not that there's anything wrong with market researchers. In fact, my stepfather was a market researcher and he also was, you know, very influential on me and, and my career. Clearly, you know, w- with what I do today, I probably didn't realize it, you know, 20 years ago, but I think of user research as very different.
0: Yeah. And, and it is very different, right? I mean, at a minimum, one of the big differences is it sits in a unique spot inside of the organization, right? It seems to me that they sit closer to, if not right beside product.
1: Exactly. And and that's my first language. My first language is design. Right. Um, So I speak design fluently and it's, and and that might be one reason why I identify with that so much more than marketing. Whereas maybe if I had come from the sales side and I became a marketer, I would identify with marketing, you know, more or that terminology more. Maybe it comes, you know, I think it comes from your background and it comes from the context, you know, that you bring to the table.
0: And that's interesting how you're kind of hitting on this nomenclature or terms that we use because that, you know, as you know, like language is culture. And if I say survey, my my head jumps into one thing, whereas somebody else's might to a different, right? They might think about a geological survey, <laughs> for example. So yeah. like the context is is really important and for under understanding the words. You do consulting for large companies. I don't know if you can divulge some of the companies that you do work for.
1: Uh, I do. I have worked with Facebook and Zillow and Gusto, and I'm at Slack right now r- running their uh, rolling research program. I've worked with PayPal and NextVK and a whole bunch of really, really great companies. And, you know, they're primarily tech driven companies, but I wouldn't say that I am a, those are my clients because I'm so tech savvy myself. I, like to kind of put like a bumper around that, those are the companies that tend to understand user research and know how to leverage it the best
0: you know and at the same time, you spent time a fair amount actually in your career at the acad- in academia, right from curriculum design to um, arts yes and instructing so like where we know that terms are actually really important in, in academia, I was struck by and i think our first introduction you know was in conjunction with a class that you teach i think it's berkeley but i apologize if i'm wrong with respect to defining a common set of terms across consumer insights
1: it sort of struck me over and over again and and i think it's ironic for those of us who work in ux you know user researchers included and designers and product managers we truly aspire to create terrific user experiences you know, that's what we do. That's what gets us out of bed every morning. And that's, you know, personally what, what I love to do, but what we've done with our own terminology is create just an absolute mess. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a perfect, you know, example of the cobbler's children and that UX terminology problem really followed me like a cloud. There were all of these different instances like you, like you mentioned, yeah, I've taught all over town. I love teaching, but in the classroom, a student, a PhD student asked me to explain the difference between ethnography and design thinking. And I was like, whoa, like you could have (laughs) put a pin drop. (laughs) And I first thought to myself like, Ooh, that's a really bad question. Like you shouldn't ask that out loud. (laughs) Of course I didn't say that, but like, that was my immediate. And this, this woman was, you know, clearly very bright and very educated, but wow. You know, if she's that confused about our terminology, like Hmm. there's a problem here. There's a gap. And then it just kind of kept coming up. It it came up in interdisciplinary conversation with with a marketing strategist. A colleague of mine I've known for 15 years, I had asked her for feedback on one of my teaching tools. And she was adamant that workflow analysis was not a legitimate user research method. And it should be removed from this tool that I was developing. And this was like, actually like a heated debate. I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." And she's also not a very argumentative person, but she was like, "You know, help out on this." And then also among you know professional researchers, I was in a conversation. You know, with this all happened within like a, a two week span. I was in conversation with two you know very esteemed uh, research colleagues, and we had a half hour conversation about whether journey mapping was indeed a user research method, and we couldn't come up with an agreed upon definition. You know, does a method just gather data or, you know, because journey mapping doesn't gather data. Journey mapping is a visualization technique to plot either assumptions or data that's already been gathered. So how are we defining this? And if the three of us couldn't come up with a shared, you know, term, then there's a lot of confusion out there. And then last is with customers. You use the, you joked by, you know, whether I, if you say the word survey, someone might think of a geological survey. I was on a discovery call, you know, within this, you know, same two to three week period, and it was a real estate client that was looking to get into shared workspaces. And they had never really done any user research before, um, but they wanted to, you know, get themselves some of that. They'd read about it, they heard it was really important, and they wanted my feedback on how to ask better questions because they had been surveying their customers, but they didn't know if they were asking the right questions or what to do with the data and yada. yada. So there's four people on the call, and 45 minutes later, I realized that they've actually been conducting one-on-one interviews. But to them, the word survey and interview was completely interchangeable. And it was such an enormous waste of time. And it was there that I was like, wow, you know, there's really, there's confusion everywhere. And depending upon your background, you likely use the language differently. right? And it's wasting time. You know, it's, it's leading to poor proposals. It's leading to the wrong hires. It's leading to the, you know, the, the wrong methods being used, you know, so what can we do about this? And that's when I started the crowdsourcing effort.
0: And so talk to us a little bit about what that looked like. And, um, then we'll like move into, you know, the public where it is in context of the public domain.
1: Yeah. So I am part of one Google group and, uh, just kind of, threw it out there to the Google group that said like, Hey, would anybody be interested in helping me define a whole bunch of terms that relate to UX and user research? And then I put that same kind of call to action on my LinkedIn profile. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I have become very active on LinkedIn since then, actually. And the response was just really overwhelming. At that point, I had just jotted down the terms that either I had used or that I had heard within a couple of weeks. I easily came up with 100 terms. And then I held a kickoff call or two kickoff calls to just get feedback from people of how they think something like this might work. Um, what they expected, what they think would be helpful, how should we define them, what criteria we should use. I had never crowdsourced anything. And I didn't know these people that were participating. Most of them I did did not know. Um, So I kind of threw a wide net out there and then held these two calls. And fast forward, we uh, divided into five teams. We had almost 60 people participate in that first round. And we defined... At that point, it was 150 terms um, within a 10-day period.
0: That's amazing.
1: It was riveting. It was like front car of the roller coaster. I can't believe this is actually working. And the beautiful thing was it all took place in Google Docs.
0: Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it. it's funny how like, so you have Word. It's just like old and still very used. I use it every day. Um, but then you have Google Docs for this whole different use case. Right. But such a dominant part of my day is spent in both of those tools.
1: (laughs) Well, in the, and, and other, I mean, these were people from all over the world. I mean, I heard from people in places, you know, it's like, wow. Like I heard from people in Nigeria. I heard from people in Serbia and Sudan and Russia and Singapore and Taiwan and Vietnam. And I mean, you name it, you know, Chile and Brazil and Argentina. And this really struck a chord. People really felt people wanted to participate either because they had been in a heated debate recently with with their team. They found themselves not knowing where to go for a trusted source to to get a definition and or they felt that this would be a great way for them to expand their vocabulary and broaden their network.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's an interesting point in terms of like the collab, like the motivations around collab. I think there's this and I do it like 100% do this. Where and I'm part of similar groups to you, uh, the same groups as some of the same groups as you. And, um, you know, the the opportunity to be able to contribute is in a lot of ways. I don't want to say selfish on my part, but like I'm getting a lot out of that by adding to the adding to the body of work.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the response was amazing. And then the language matters. Right. And then they went back and forth and they commented on each other's terms really i interpret it like this or have you thought about it from this you know standpoint and there was also just really highlighted the difference between how applied researchers think about something versus academic researchers right and we communicate in totally different ways
0: oh so the so we put together you put together with in this collaborative environment how many terms were there it's 200 right
1: it's up to 200 terms. So, so once we finish those existing or, or those first 150, I then turned it over to my class at, at UC Berkeley and I introduced those students to secondary research and fact checking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they went through it as new practitioners to review the terms for consistency and tone and clarity and accuracy I completely think the word "consistify" should be a word. But
0: (laughs) I love that (laughs)
1: they went through and they they fact checked, clarified, consistified um, uh, each of the terms, and then they added the term it used in a sentence, and then related terms, and then they were each asked to add one more term of their choice from a list, you know, that I had gathered. So then it grew to two hundred terms
0: language is also an evolution in evolution. So it changes with time. Okay. So, you know, I do not mean to say that, like, you don't know that, of course, you know that, but, but, but my, my question is really with that understanding, come up with it, coming up with a definitive, you know, dictionary of common terms and what they mean, how are you going to deal over time with changes to this, I presume some sort of a version of a Wikipedia type page?
1: So you bring up a, a really good point. And I think that what was fascinating about this, there's so many fascinating aspects about it. But, but one, one aspect that we haven't touched on yet is that I think it also serves as sort of a chronicle of the evolution of our industry. Hmm. And I don't think that whatever we're calling this UX Lex, by, by the way, UX Lexicon, I don't think that it should be static. I think that it should be a living chronicle that should evolve over time. And I think as we see more of marketing converge into user research, converge into, you know, data analytics and all of these spheres, you know, kind of blending into one. I think what's going to happen is that those terms are going to evolve as well.
0: Hmm, That's super interesting. And just like, so, okay, so where does it exist now in context of access? Can we get access to that?
1: A dozen or a few dozen of the terms should be available by mid-February on curiositytank.com. And I'm actively looking for sponsors who uh, would like to build out a more robust site. The majority of my students' work last term at UC Berkeley was not only, you know, the first portion was to, quote unquote, consistify these terms and then add them in a sentence and kind of you know, build out new terms, but then they spent, you know, another 10 weeks doing generative research and evaluative research on what kind of home these would best live in. So they interviewed aspiring researchers and practicing uh, researchers of all different levels to find out Mm -hmm. more about where this should live, how it should live, what should accompany it, and what types of experiences would deliver the material in the most meaningful ways. So we have some great MVPs there.
0: Got it, got it. So so you're releasing a subset of the lexicon and then looking for a sponsor which I think is very important by the way, to come alongside add value cash and really unlock the rest of the value.
1: Exactly. And uh, maybe it's not cash, maybe it's uh, talent and uh, development talent.
0: Interesting. Okay, good. Well, gosh, Insights Nation, there you go. There's a really clear call to action. If you have desire to get in front of and really help define an industry, gosh, that's kind of powerful, huh? Then check the show notes for contact information. I know somebody (laughs) would like to to talk with you. I actually have a few people in mind already.
1: Yeah, or, or sponsor sponsor a collection of words, right? You know maybe you're in the recruiting industry, or maybe you're in the platform industry, or maybe there's a myriad of collections that we would like to present. Um, one of the things that we learned um, by doing all of these studies uh, with our with our target users is how they would like that information to be presented and what collections make sense to them. Were you
0: surprised by anything that's come out of the research?
1: A lot. Beginning practitioners and people that have been in the field are looking for two very different things. Beginning practitioners don't know where to start and they don't necessarily know the word that they're going to look up. So they want to be told and almost guided and they want context of where that term fits into the overall uh, cycle or development cycle or design process cycle. Whereas more experienced practitioners know the word that they're looking up and they're probably going there. To type in the exact words to maybe share a definition with a coworker who is confused, or to maybe create some sort of shared understanding within a broader team. When we refer to, say, a persona or an archetype, let's agree to always, you know, use this definition of it or that definition of it. So, they're, what they're looking for and how they look uh, differs considerably.
0: So I so that actually was not my question but I think that is really interesting from and this is me as a marketing person right from an SEO perspective so if I want and I and this has been part of my ongoing thesis is that the new generation of researchers does not have the same vocabulary as the previous generation and so to that end it's very important if you're a services business then you need to make sure that you're talking your voice, you're using the right words in order to be discoverable by the next generation of researchers.
1: Well, that's a a great segue. So in addition to sponsors, I'm also looking for people to have conversations with me where we can videotape a conversation about a term. So you and I would be talking about the term persona and what it means to me as a user researcher versus what it means to you as a marketer. So we could provide real practical value in context. The aspiring researchers today, or people that are, you know, up and coming in our industry, want to learn by video. They don't read nearly as much, so they also they want this context provided in a different way.
0: Mm, that's that's super interesting. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I mean, the uh, ironically that you don't give your kid YouTube, but like YouTube is the go-to for knowledge. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I'll be looking for people and I think it, it'll just be fascinating, right? To have a five minute conversation with someone about like, what does this term mean to you? When was the last time you used this term? Can you give me an example of this term in use? Right. And just, um, you know, create a series of those so that people can really learn, you know, a theory from practice, right? And be able to apply that to maybe what they're doing today.
0: So words have evolved the role of insights has evolved tremendously in the context of a major brand. You've worked both inside and then outside of leading brands. How historically, how has thing, have things changed from a user experience researcher's perspective?
1: Um, you know, I think that I work in a little bit of a bubble because my clients, you know, as I mentioned earlier, clients like Square and Microsoft those guys are really UX mature, Slack, Facebook. So when they're calling me in or, or asking, when I'm in discussions with them, they know what I do um, and they understand the value and they're there because they know it's important and they want it. So I don't do like a lot of sales, so to speak. I don't do a lot of convincing people why it's important. But I am getting more and more calls for people like the the real estate company, they are not UX mature, they're not a tech company, but they're hearing more and more about the value of user research. And they think it's important and and they want to get some of that, you know, quote unquote, but they don't know where to start. So I think that the UX mature companies are becoming more mature. Research ops are becoming more savvy. They're becoming more efficient. They're becoming more effective. In those tech-savvy companies, I'm also being asked more and more to build internal research programs to help upskill the quote-unquote non-researchers. I call those like the temporary researchers or the accidental researchers, people that are finding that research is becoming a bigger portion of their job or they have like a specific question to explore, but they don't necessarily have the skills or the confidence to do that. So I'm seeing, seeing lots of shifts Nine years ago, when I set off on my own, it was a big sales job. Now my clients, you know, it's, it's, it's always been word of mouth, but, but now I'm not, I'm not selling so much where it comes to like sales. It's really in those discovery calls with people that are not UX mature. And quite frankly, I, I have difficulty and a a lack of patience, if you will. Um, I haven't figured out how to, how to bridge that gap.
0: You know, you, you have like known pain in the sales cycle that you're addressing, but if it's not necessarily known, then you can have, but they just like feel like they need it almost FOMO, then you wind up in a lot of cycles of education.
1: It's a, right. It's in it. And it's such a longer kind of sales cycle for me, whereas Slack, it was literally a half an hour conversation, sending <laughs> some samples and like boom, you seem like a really good fit. Yeah,
0: super easy. <laughs> or,
1: you know, the, the real estate company, I don't mean to pick on them, but it was just, you know, kind of recent example. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are you looking to learn? And and their questions are, well, we want to become more profitable. Right. <laughs> we, want, we want to maximize our revenue. Sounds like and it's like, owned
0: by a private equity company.
1: I know. Well, um, my first response is like, get yeah, in line, sister. Yeah. <laughs> but my second response is like, you know what? That's not a user research question. <laughs> That's right. So There's a million ways we can become more profitable, but it's, that's not a user research question and user research, you know, is not intended to boil the ocean. Right. So then we go through this whole series of, okay, let's peel back the onion. Like what is an appropriate user research question and, and what kinds of data do you have that we can leverage? Cause we don't, you know, we don't want to start from ground zero if we don't have to, if you've already done, you know, you already have some data, like let's, let's triangulate and, and use that to inform you know kind of our, our starting point there's no need to reinvent the wheel
0: all right my last question actually i have to ask this other one first i'm sorry i know we're over on time what is the biggest issue from your vantage point that's facing market researchers and i know you don't consider yourself a market researcher but facing market researchers and i guess we'll broaden it to user experience researchers if you feel uh, more qualified there uh, currently
1: you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, I truly think we're becoming data obsessed and we're collecting data to collect data's sake. I mean, how many times can you be asked to rate your Lyft or Uber driver? I mean, are you even looking at the app anymore? <laughs> when you're right? I literally
0: had this conversation with Shopify this morning on the podcast. We were like, oh, no we were like she said, we're drowning in NPS.
1: Exact Same thing. It's like, you're so much, we have, we are Linus, right? We we are this culture with like this, like gray cloud of data around us that, that we don't, A, we don't need and B, we're not using. Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's a concern. Another concern or another opportunity or challenge I think is helping to upskill these, you know, what I, what I call these temporary or accidental researchers, right? right. So salespeople should feel comfortable and should be confident in knowing how to ask good questions and follow up to dig deeper, right? Mm. But we also need to upscale these, these people to share that knowledge back, right? To get it back into a repository so we're not asking the same questions over and over.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. The, I'll say this on our, this episode because I don't think it'll actually make it on the Shopify conversation that I had um, because it's a little off topic. But one of the things I was impressed with that she was telling me about Uh, Emma is her name, Emma was telling me about, is that, you know, she actually was in a managerial role inside of Shopify and then she she wanted to move into UX. And so she had to start basically her career over as an intern in the UX department and then get a mentor that then helped her navigate her career. And now she's a lead UX researcher. But to me, I really, I have, I think that this like whole area around mentorship, which used to exist is, you know, in in a lot of ways has gone away, a big opportunity in, uh, corporations?
1: So I definitely agree with you. There is a huge gap in user research education. There, you know, in an ideal model, there would be a series of apprenticeships. um, But that just doesn't exist today. It just doesn't exist in our culture. Um, The the classes that I'm offering um, hope to address, you know, this specific gap because I truly think that you need really, really hands-on practice and you need a mentor to help you, you know, guide you on your way and to give you feedback along the way. One of the best quotes um, that I, that I was able to uncover from one of my students when I was trying to, you know, learn more about this gap, I think he said something along the lines of user research is a long and lonely road. There's no one there to let you know how well you're doing along the way. And it's very true. So I think that improving research education and making it more accessible and providing more hands-on experiences and practice for the newer generations is going to be really paramount.
0: I love that opportunity for education in our space, especially considering the rate of growth that it's going through right now is it's like material. Somebody should seize that opportunity. All right. Last question. What is your personal motto?
1: Oh my gosh, I have a lot of little isms. You know, in regard to user research or in regard to life, I would say there's a couple. Start where you are. No matter where you are, just start where you are. If you're a bartender and you want to learn about user research, do a study about who you think, what assumptions you have about people who order Shirley Temples, right? And then go out and interview those people while they're drinking their Shirley Temple. Just start wherever you are. And the more you ask questions and the more you improve your listening skills, the better you're going to become. And then when you do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, you'll do better. But don't wait. Don't wait for the perfect class. Don't wait for the perfect mentor. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity because there's never going to be one. Our culture just isn't set up for those sort of apprenticeships now. And and life is moving, right? But your life, you practice research in your day to day life. Are you looking to buy a new washer and driver dryer? Great, make a research project out of that. Are you looking to move into a new apartment? Great, make a research project about that. Are you dating? Great, make a research project about that. <laughs> oh,
0: that's an interesting way to think about it, actually.
1: Or make a research project about something at work, right? Maybe there's something that's not working very well. Maybe there's a process or a procedure or an intake something. Make a research project around it. How are people doing that same thing at other companies? Do you need to you know, upgrade something or purchase new software? Great. Make a research project out of it.
0: And then after you're done with that, check out Curiosity Tank to make sure that you're using the right terms
1: that's right (laughs) that's right and pilot everything pilot everything including your pilots if you're going to do an interview pilot your interview if you are going to run a survey pilot your survey if you're going to run a card sort pilot it pilot everything you're going to i guarantee you're going to learn from every single pilot you do
0: my guest today has been michelle ronson michelle thank you very much for being on the podcast today thank you Curiosity Tank is the name of the company. If you'd like to get in contact with her, Michelle, what is the easiest way for people to get in contact with you?
1: Uh, Probably on LinkedIn, actually. Uh, Michelle with one L and Ronson, uh, R-O-N-S-E-N.
0: Perfect. And of course, as always, you can find her contact information in our show notes and on the blog. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in.